imagine this email landing in your inbox. This is from Renault Formula One team. They said, we'd like to put you in this F1 car at Paul Ricard. I thought it was such nonsense. I actually erased it. And then they sent me a second email saying, just checking you got the email about driving the F1 car. My first proper upload did half a million views in two weeks because the audience of the blog watched a film, it just went off on one. I've got photos back at home of me in a pram at an F1 race. I mean, I can't ever remember a time when the culture of cars wasn't in my life, really. The Chubb Interviews with Jody Kidd. Brought to you by Chubb Insurance. Expert insurers of your most valued possessions. Established since 1882. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Chubb Interviews, which today comes live from the Concourse of Elegance here at Hampton Court. I'm Jodie Kidd. I can't believe the year has passed since I last had the chance to record a Chubb interview in front of a live audience rather than from our virtual studios. So it's really such a joy to be back at the concourse once again and to see so many friends in person. Anyone who isn't already a subscriber of the Chubb Interview podcast, over the last two years, I've been lucky enough to talk to some fascinating people from the car world, including Derek Bell, David Brabham, Ian Callum, and many, many more. So please sign up for past and future episodes. My guest today is one of the country's great car enthusiasts. His passion for beautiful cars is already the stuff of legends. You can pay me later with this one. This is a good intro. So much so that he is known by just three letters, JWW. His fabulous Mr. JWW YouTube channel has over 650,000 subscribers with over 150 million views and counting. That is seriously impressive. He's described himself as an automotive lifestyle YouTuber. He's a writer for several high-profile brands, a presenter, a video maker. I mean, this goes on and on. And he is lucky enough to have his own collection of supercars too. Thanks to this success in the fashion and textiles industry, and more recently being a founder of NVN London, specializing in luxury performance and supercars. So I'm delighted to welcome Mr. JWW himself, James William Walker. Crikey, that was an opening. You can come again. That was. I mean, I've. I've had some intros, but that was up there, Jodie. Thanks, th- thanks very much. I'm starting to blush. <laughs> seriously, seriously talented. Okay, so basically I'm sure that there's a lot of people here that know and love your work. But for the people that don't, can you just explain a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, so um, it's funny. I've been doing this almost six years now, and I still struggle to relate to what I do because it's quite odd. I guess you would call me a a YouTuber, a content creator. The industry, for some reason, has branded us influencers, and you'll never catch an influencer referring to themselves as an influencer because it's the worst word. In short, before the world got flipped upside down, I used to travel the world filming the latest, greatest cars and uploading it to my YouTube channel, and that kind of started for fun purely because of my love for cars i never really thought it would gain the traction it did before i knew it one flight to go and film a supercar turned into 80 a year yeah i ended up not knowing what time zone i was on just to go and you know film the next car and uh, it just sort of 
kept on building. So yeah, it's a channel and brand that effectively uh, specializes in the passion for cars. And ultimately what it is distilled down to is sharing why we drive. That is effectively it. At the beginning of every podcast that I do, I ask my guest where their passion for cars came from. Was it a particular person in your life or was it like coming to an event like this? Was there a moment where you just fell in love with cars? Yeah, I think this is probably a cliche answer, but it was without doubt my dad. Mostly because my household when I was growing up, you know, all of my friends seemed to grow up with football. And in my house, every time my dad turned TV on, it was something with an engine and wheels. The sound of Formula One, for me, is the sound of me growing up. And uh, he's always had this inherent passion for cars. And it wasn't something that he ever really put on me. He wasn't like, you will love cars. I just think that sort of infectious passion for it himself seemed to rub off on me by being around that environment you know when I was too young to say no he would drag me to every event over the years I would just start to absorb this fantastic culture and when you eventually get around these incredible things and hear them start up as a young kid growing up it just sticks and that was definitely the uh, start of it. So was he just like a massive fan that went to all the Formula One racing and or did he drive himself? So he used to race Before I was born, he used to race Formula Ford. Off the back of that, I think he just became obsessed. The expense of that sort of got too much too soon, and I think he only raced a few seasons. And then off the back of that, rather than racing, he used to just follow F1 around. So, um, And then as soon as I was old enough to join him, I mean, I've got photos back at home of me in a pram at an F1 race. I mean, I can't... I love it. I can't ever remember a time when the culture of cars wasn't in my life, really. So basically, you had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you've turned your passion for cars into a job. So how exactly did this happen? Was it by chance? I know you said you started it six years ago, or was there? did you have intentions to go down this route? It purely happened by... I think it was probably going to end up happening one day. I just didn't realize it. Prior to this, I was in the sort of fashion and textiles world truthfully i was only in that so that i could afford to finance a car (laughs) i was like that pays a check uh that check will get me that car (laughs) so so i always knew that i would like to be associated in the car world but truth be told i had no connection to it i didn't know how to get my foot in the door Um, did you want to race or yeah i did but racing you know it's so expensive you know i mean it is a black hole for cash it's insane so so racing i did some go-karting as a kid that was about it going all the way back when i was at school i used to enjoy film so it started off me filming me and my friends skiing which would happen at best twice a year but then we all passed our driving tests as like forget skiing let's film cars so i would film me and my friends Uh, this is like sort of 2004 so actually then facebook had just launched there was no platform to put these things on i would i would make these videos burn it onto a cd (laughs) and hand it out to all five friends and go wasn't that great (laughs) Um, fast forward 10 years from then true story and if there's any kids listening to this i don't necessarily recommend this uh but i saved up a deposit for my first house and i went to the final viewing for this house and i just got the strangest anxiety i was like this feels like 
this anchor. I can't go on a road trip with this house. <laughs> and I hadn't done any, any sort of car stuff up to that point. Yeah. I was like, I can't track day this house. I can't travel with this house. Yeah. So I actually blew my deposit on an Audi R8. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I say I don't Live in the car. recommend it at all. <laughs> um, but at that point, my parents almost disowned me. And that, that was actually the catalyst. I didn't know it at that time because it was not the most sensible of times. But the disappointment as a byproduct of that, I was so determined to make the car work yeah. for me. So weirdly, even though I enjoyed filming when I was back at school, I ended up writing a blog because I was in full-time work at that point mm -hmm. and filming is not conducive to anything other than full-time. Right. So I don't have time to actually do that or get out and use this car. So I was using the car at the weekends and writing a blog about it. It got to a point when I'm writing this blog that there was only so much that I, I felt that I could relate to the reader of how something looked or sounded. And I thought, you know, I used to enjoy filming so much back at school. Why don't I start filming again now? Right. So I started this blog. I probably did that for about two years. And that built up an audience of about 50,000 unique readers per month, which about seven or eight years ago was that's, actually all right. That's a lot. Yeah. So what I didn't know with hindsight was when I eventually was going to start YouTube, when I uploaded my first video, the only reason I uploaded it to YouTube was to use it as a place to host the video to then refer it to my blog. So okay, like 50,000 of these people went click, clicked on it. Right. And YouTube interpreted that as this like above average spike. And they just started serving it. So my first proper upload did half a million views in two weeks, which is great now. And when yeah. I first started, I mean, I got like five subscribers then. It was crackers. But because the audience of the blog watched a film, it just went off on one. And then it was the comments below that video from the audience, which actually kept me going. I was never short on ideas because the audience would go, great video. How about seeing this? How about seeing that? Right. Yeah. And do you listen to people's feedback and, and what the audience is telling you? Oh, crikey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the term social media gets thrown around too much, but yeah. the social bits, the main differentiator between that media and more conventional media. Yeah. You know, when an episode of Top Gear finishes, there's no comment section underneath for anyone no. to write anything, <laughs> right? So whereas when our episode ends, you've got a thousand comments and people saying that was great or that wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> and what's really important is the amount of feedback you get. And you read that, you begin to pick up on trends, people saying, I'd love to see this or see that next okay. time. And that sort of self fuels it. It does sound like, in hindsight, a dream job, but it's a lot harder than it looks. So what really goes into making a hit video? Yeah, it's f funny. It's what we end up putting out online, I sort of joke, is the highlight reel of that day. We worked out as our team that the average video probably takes about 18 hours of work, and wow. the average video is about 10 minutes long. Wow. So if you add up the time to output ratio it's pretty yeah. depressing yeah. <laughs> so, especially so. when you're doing how many a year 80 you said you were doing well i was yeah time. well at, at one point that was 80 flights yeah 80 so flights. that was okay. that was 80 flights yeah before lockdown sadly no one used to launch a car in the uk so every time a car was why. launched yeah <laughs> i know so every time a car was launched it was like get on this plane and go to somewhere and and brands because they want to position their car in the most exotic or abstract environment they'll send you to some crazy place where you have to get like three flights and a transfer to go to some desert yeah. somewhere. And so, uh, yeah, 
that was 80 flights. But in terms of workload, I think if you truly didn't love it, a normal person would just it's, pack it's it in because it's uh, and for whatever reason there seems to be a culture in this space where we end up editing until 2 a.m. Yeah. So we sort of average three videos a week, which means up until I recently employed an editor, I was doing 2 a.m. every other night for five years. Wow, I would say yeah. So it, it's a really odd one. Labor of love. It is a labor of love. Yeah. yeah. Presumably, you're always fighting to stay ahead, too, because, you know, there's a lot of competition in that area. So how do you set yourself apart from all the other kind of car YouTubers? Yeah, I mean, now, really, if you have an iPhone, you can film something. But I think what we try and do now and what I tried to do from the very start, because even though I've been doing this for almost six years, I was actually quite late to it. I mean, I've got friends who, have, who are in this space who have been doing it for 10 and 12 years. I think when I started out, I was actually, I guess, selfishly making the kind of content which I wanted to actually watch. Yeah. And sadly, that meant stepping up the quality, which right. meant the most disproportionate amount of work. Yeah. So as soon as you go from a vlogger with one camera to wanting a drone shot or multiple camera angles yeah. or any sort of tracking shots and B-roll, you need team then. more complicated. Yeah. Um, so our sort of niche really was to up the quality, yeah. be very selective with the kinds of content that we output and try and ultimately take the audience along for a journey which they can't find elsewhere. Save up to 33% on Chubb Multicar Insurance. Go to chubb.com forward slash the interviews for more information. You must have had like so many incredible experiences. I'm just thinking on just let alone 80 flights to see launches of new cars. You must have just driven some extraordinary vehicles. So I'm going to do a couple of quick fire questions. So out of the six years that has been very, very compacted with a lot of cars, what's been your favorite car related moment? To this day, when I say this, I'm still in disbelief that it actually happened but Renault Formula One team they casually dropped me an email it wasn't like a call or imagine this email landing in your inbox so this is from Renault Formula One team they said would you like to come and drive this was the the ex Kimi Raikkonen 2013 F1 car so the last of the naturally aspirated cars yes. they said we'd like to put you in this F1 car at Paul Ricard I thought it was such nonsense. I actually I it stuck it in joke. the uh, bin. No, I'm dead serious. I actually erased it because I thought someone wants some credit card details or something. Yeah, yeah, I was like, exactly. this is, there's no way. And then three days later, their technical partner on their hybrid drivetrain, which was Infinity at that time, yeah. they sent me a second email saying, just checking you got the email about driving the F1 car. Oh <laughs> I was like, Christ, goodness. yeah, I did. So I ended up phoning up those guys. Long story short, yeah, I drove Kimmy's 2013 F1 car at Paul, Paul Ricard. And, and I mean, that was not even a, this is a top five life moment, not yeah. even car moment. It was yeah, the yeah. most pinch yourself, unbelievable thing. And what made it really special was it was a full factory supported experience. It wasn't a privateer that owned yes, this car. Yeah, the reason I was there was Renault were putting their junior drivers through enough seat time to qualify for their super license yeah. and literally on their lunch break they said now you hop in <laughs> it was honestly it was the most abstract yeah. thing just and uh, you it was crackers yeah well that journey it wasn't just like come down and hop in that was three months worth of jumping through hoops and meeting certain 
criteria. I spend quite a lot of time in a simulator, an annoying amount of time in a classroom, talking right. about all the functionality of the car on the yeah. uh, steering wheel. Because they're not uh, easy to drive. They are not easy. Uh, they put me in a Formula Renault for two days. That was great. Had to meet certain criteria there. Yeah. Uh, and then on the final stretch, also throughout all of this, uh, I had to have a seat fitting early on, and they said, you cannot change weight, you cannot change size, right. you have to stay as you are, because the configuration of the seat and the car and everything will be for you. And I was like, really? Banned, banned from <laughs> yeah. pizzas. Banned from pizzas. <laughs> that experience uh, was absolutely insane. Amazing. T- to the extent where afterwards I phoned my dad afterwards, and I was actually crying. I was like, I couldn't believe yeah, what bet. had just happened. It was the most insane thing. I'm surprised he didn't come down and join you. I know, actually. it was wild. I know. Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> okay. Okay, so next question. Who's your favorite car-related celeb that you've met? I mean, obviously. That would be <laughs> Jody Kidd. No, go on, be serious. Uh, celeb, probably Alan Prost. That guy's a dude. He's yeah. a dude. And I think he's really inspiring, not just off the back of his history, but I'm not sure people are aware of how still heavily involved he still is. His influence in Renault in the background is still there. Mm-hmm. And um, every now and again, if you're watching F1, you might see a flash of him in the pits. Yeah. And he's still really hands-on, so yeah. that's cool. Yeah. yeah, He is a complete legend. What about your number one racetrack? i got to say the Nürburgring. The reason why, I know there's probably more sort of iconic, but every time I get on that track, it is, (laughs) but every time I get on that track, I'm in disbelief that it even exists. It's like, like, how is this? It's it's the most ridiculous stretch of tarmac. uh, And I'm just really thankful that it actually exists. If someone came up with that concept now and said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to build a 14 mile racetrack through the woods with this much runoff. They were like, no, (laughs) no, lads. No, I totally agree with you there. Okay. And the best car that you've ever driven. You might have already mentioned it. but Yeah. I mean, let's let's take race cars out of it. Road cars. A good friend of mine purchased what is now the ex Rowan Atkinson McLaren F1. Oh no, stop yeah, it. Yeah, and we put 2,000 miles on Rowan's McLaren F1 in the space of 10 days. In 2017, it was the 25th anniversary of the McLaren F1, and we drove down to Monaco on the anniversary which it was launched there. Then we drove back over the Alps and then to Bordeaux, which was where this 25th anniversary was taking place. And we ended up sticking 2,000 miles on this thing in 10 days. That was that was next level nuts. Yeah, I mean, that was cool. And that's such what an iconic car. Okay, this one's a little trickier because you own a few lovely cars of your own. But have you, out of your collection... Have you got a favorite? I know it's like really difficult saying if you've got two kids, what's your favorite? <laughs> so what's your favorite in your garage? This is painful, Jody. You know, can't. I know. It's like, what's it's your favorite food? <laughs> um, this might be quite cliche. I'm not going to pick a specific GT3, but the GT3, you know, objectively, there's cars which do things better. There might be more exotic. Uh, there might be more true supercars, but the Porsche GT3 as a complete package seems to tick the most boxes in that one minute you can be on a road trip and the next minute you can be doing a sub seven around the Nürburgring and then drive home again via a supermarket you know that for me probably ticks it no and it kind of almost takes you back to the 50s to those wonderful when Enzo Ferrari was designing those cars that you used to just go to work in every day and then drive it up to the racetrack and (laughs) that's it you know it's fantastic because a lot of these um, big fast supercars are not that easy in in traffic (laughs) not at all no I mean you know when you get in a thoroughbred supercar it's an incredible sense 
of occasion. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you have to almost build up to it. There's some cars we're quite fortunate enough to have in the garage and on the channel where you literally plan your route. You're like, does that have any speed bumps on it? Yeah. Am I going to have to Especially. make any U-turns in this thing? Whereas GT3, you just, just, just go. Just you know, do it's it. It's cool. So if you could own one supercar, and there's quite a few here. Oh, look what's going on behind us. Do you know, um, that's well-timed because yes, that I 275 know. looks pretty tasty. That actually. is absolutely <laughs> the GTB. Right, so if there was one supercar in the whole world, you had a blank checkbook, you could write it out for as many zeros as you want, what would it be? Crikey, this is like your no. favourite car, your favourite food thing. No, uh, one, one car, crikey. Tonight, I feel this is such a cliche answer, but I do love the McLaren F1 GTR. That's, oh, yes. that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Or the LM. I'm not fussy. Yes. <laughs> you know, either either one. one will do. Orange. <laughs> fine. Yeah. Orange. Orange. Yeah. yeah. McLaren orange. I heard a story that, and I don't know if this is true or not, but when Lewis Hamilton was racing for McLaren, apparently Ron Dennis offered him one as like a prize effectively that yeah. if he won another championship for them, and then he went to Merck. So. <laughs> but as it happens, he bought one anyway which yeah. is cool but yeah, yeah exactly. it's cool you can afford it <laughs> yeah. um okay so we're surrounded by some beautiful cars as i can see going behind us they're about to do their parade um some amazing supercars uh, we've got the Koenigsegg. if you're able to pick one out here what would that be because this for me would be the hardest question this is ridiculous timing there is a mclaren f1 that's exactly the car in that that's orange it. that's the one how ridiculous is that? In what world would that happen, Jodie? Literally went anyway, straight past. Um, yeah, so, so <laughs> what is this world? Either that yeah. or the Porsche 917 over there. Yeah. Yeah, either or. I'd be happy with either of them, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. special. Yeah. I mean, there really is. This is just eye candy going on behind me. Okay, so during this series, we've been running a special theme, and it's called One Piece of a Time where we ask our guests to select one prized automotive possession that means a lot to them. So, James, yes. what is yes, yes. your one piece? And can you tell us what it is and why? I have it right here. Um, oh. So this is my dad's skid lid. This, this is his oh, helmet. Wow. So uh, this is the lid, and it, it's shocking to see how little protection these afford. Um, but this is the lid he used to race in, and uh, it sits in my office. I also have a photo next to it of him in his car on the starting line wearing this lid. Yeah, it's probably my most prized automotive possession. means nothing to anyone else and has absolutely zero value. If it was to go missing, it would break my heart and hopefully I can pass this down to my boy too and um, I think it's just a symbol of how much cars has been in the family really and um, yeah lots of good stories that I have from my dad when he used to race which is which is very much associated with this lid and um, yeah it just really acts as a lot of inspiration for me and uh, it does good time so yeah I love it cool. and I love how you know you've got half of the goggles I'm actually looking yeah it's green it's this beautiful well, green color I mean half of the goggles have tape on have tape on that's <laughs> that was their idea of a visor back then yeah. and um just feel that it's it's actually oh my God, and I think so it's light. I think it's just like fiberglass or something it's the most ridiculously yes you uh, useless want to, you piece of headgear not at all no when I picked this up yesterday to bring it down here I had my helmet now next to it 
Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating when I say they are twice the size. And you Ooh. don't really know about it. No, it's so old. It's so old, out. the foam's falling <laughs> out of it. Breaking it. Don't worry. Um, yeah, they're so small. So, um, but yeah, Amazing. that's my uh, piece. I love it. Cool. We shall be uh, uploading a picture of that yeah. so everyone that's listening will be able to see it. Thank you so much for bringing it. And thank you so much for talking to us and sharing some of your stories. It's quite um, all right. Yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. It's been a pleasure. Thank here you. And we can talk in front of each other. Normally, I'm in, as I said, yes. this little room kind of hidden yeah. away from everyone so it's uh, been such a lovely thing to sit and have a chat so thank you so so no much. thank you so much for having me on it's one of the more abstract locations i've done a podcast but, yeah i know um, and this is like yeah, pure kind of proper engine noise behind us and to the listeners of this podcast we would love it if you could share your own one piece at a time pictures on instagram or facebook or you can send it on email on facebook or on instagram just search for chubb that's c-h-u-b-b collect a car or for email it's classic cars at chubb.com or browse chubb.com forward slash the interviews so thank you so much to our live audience here at the Concourse of Elegance at Hampton Court, as well as those listening to the special episode of the Chubb interview series brought to you by Chubb, who share our passion for classic cars. There'll be another episode very soon. To receive every episode as it's released, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please review and spread the word. And don't forget to email us your stories about your most loved classics. I'm Jodie Kidd. Until the next time, bye. The Chubb Interviews with Jodie Kidd. Brought to you by Chubb Insurance. Expert insurers of your most valued possessions. Established since 1882.